0: she could easily picture lying down, letting the snow swallow her up, surrendering to the cold. Almakatsu, The Hunger. Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast focusing on the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm one of your hosts, Stephanie.
1: And I'm your other host, Rachel. Once again, the holidays are upon us. Last year, we had so much fun recommending creepy Christmas stories that we decided to do it again. So today, we are sharing more winter horror to read this holiday season on this episode of Books in the Freezer.
0: This episode of Books in the Freezer is brought to you by Audible. This podcast wouldn't be possible without audiobooks, so if you want some spooky stories told by some familiar voices, try Stephen King's Pet Cemetery read by Dexter's Michael C. Hall, or The Dead Zone, read by James Franco, or podcast favorite, Joe Hill's Nosferatu, read by Kate Mulgrew. For a free audiobook and 30-day trial, go to audibletrial.com slash booksinthefreezer. Happy listening!
1: So it's almost the holidays. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of getting excited. I do enjoy Christmas. I'm not that much of a Grinch. Are you one of those people who listen to Christmas music as soon as Halloween is done? I actually am. Really? I thought you were going to be one of those people who like pickets outside the mall or something. No,
0: like I love the last quarter of the year. It's my favorite. Halloween Christmas. Although Thanksgiving to me is pretty boring. (laughs) I kind of agree. Yeah, I'm not a big Thanksgiving person, but yes, Christmas music. Basically, as soon as Halloween is over, I have like my giant Christmas playlist I start playing through, but I have learned that I can't play through it too many times or else I get sick of it by the time Christmas comes around so I've learned over the years how to temper it like when I need a little pick me up I'll listen to it it's like a little drug you can only really take a hit like once in a while
1: <laughs> I get that I'm really surprised if I had to put money on it I would have felt so confident that you're one of those people who can't stand Christmas music and it's like so against it and they're like oh you better not play it until Christmas Eve But I'd kind of be making fun of you unfairly because I've been listening to Christmas music all week at work on Spotify. So
0: ooh, what are your go to Christmas albums?
1: I love the Bare Naked Ladies. It's a Canadian (laughs) band. I'm so typical.
0: It's been one week since Christmas.
1: (laughs) Totally. No, they have a really nice version of God Resty Merry Gentlemen. It's super classic. The downside with listening on Spotify, I've started making my own list, but if you just listen to like the radio, there's a lot of Justin Bieber that pops up because it purposely tries to play you all the Canadian ones when you live in Canada, (laughs) which means I have like the Nickelback and Justin Bieber playlist going on, which is wonderful if you can't hear the sarcasm in my
0: voice. I do have a funny story about Justin Bieber Christmas songs.
1: How do you have something so specific as a Justin Bieber (laughs) Christmas song story?
0: Let me tell you. Okay. (laughs) So when my husband and I started dating in college, but since this was like the late aughts, he gave me a flash drive that had like music on it and it had some love songs. So yeah, this was the late aughts version of a mixtape and one of the songs was Mistletoe by Justin Bieber because it was like Christmas time and that was like the hot Christmas song that had come out.
1: That's so adorable.
0: Also, in a very Andy Bernard twist, I would say 70% of my Christmas playlist are acapella
1: groups. Classy.
0: Gotta have that Pentatonix and Straight No Chaser.
1: So maybe we should talk about some actual Christmas horror because I think other people are going to find it terrifying that we're both like really into Christmas music. So maybe let's get this a little bit darker here.
0: Yeah, we don't want to lose too much of our cred. <laughs>
1: I know. I thought it might be fun to go over some possible like horror gift ideas. So I started compiling a little bit of a list. And if you are oh so lucky as to have someone in your life who actually loves horror and you have a reason to give them a gift or frankly just make up a reason that you need to give them a Christmas gift, my go-to recommendation is coffee table books. Because I don't know about you, but I always feel like coffee table books are just like the gifty kind of books. So I thought of a couple that i really like to see on my coffee table, one being Paperbacks from Hell by Grady Hendrix. This is one I really, really want to have a copy of. Like, I would love to just, like, have my company flip through it while they're, like, visiting over coffee because... You know, that's just me. And another one is one that I talked about in a previous episode a little while back. And that is Corpse Cold by John Burrell and Joseph Sullivan. And that is a story collection that was inspired by scary stories to tell in the dark. But the idea behind this collection is that they're all intended for adults. So they're a lot more mature and they have like creepy illustrations. I read it as a digital copy originally and I've been dying to get my hands on a physical copy ever since then. Could you think of any other books that kind of have like a coffee table feel? you
0: One that I got recently that I think is really pretty and I displayed it, like I faced it outward on the bookshelf that's in my living room during Halloween was that copy of Ray Bradbury's The Halloween Tree. It's just so pretty and I love the cover. But when you were talking about like really big, substantial books, the one that came to mind was House of Leaves, even though the cover of it, like the spine has kind of Polaroid looking pictures and then the cover is mostly black. I feel like it is one of those almost like Ness necessary, iconic books within the horror genre if you do have a horror reader in your life.
1: Oh, absolutely. I haven't even read it yet. And that's when I would be thrilled if I got a copy of it. Like exactly. It's like one that you just want to have like to be able to pull off your shelf. That's a really good pick.
0: That's definitely one you have to read as a physical copy. I'm really excited because my mom told me that she's been picking up reading for fun and she asked me for a recommendation. Will she read horror? Well, she was like something that I would like. And so I kind of went through and thought about what she would like. And I recommended Bird Box. And then luckily, the trailer came out soon after that. And she said, oh, yeah, like I love post-apocalyptic thriller type stuff. That sounds perfect. So she doesn't know I'm getting her a copy. I just like gave her the recommendation. But I'm going to be gifting it to her for Christmas.
1: Oh, that is so amazing. I'm always super jealous. I never actually give books for Christmas because I have virtually no readers on my short list. Like I do have friends that read, but they're the kind of friends that I'm not exchanging gifts with. So everyone like in my family and on that like really short list, like would never pick up a book I read. Yeah, So that makes me so happy that you get to like gift Bird Box for Christmas. It's like
0: the one thing I'm like,
1: finally. Probably the one gift you have figured out already. It was the only one. I'm like, I get
0: to do this now.
1: And going back to the halloween tree which you're right that cover is stupid gorgeous but that actually got me thinking just off the cuff that i think it would be really nice to gift horror classics like with really nice covers like i don't own a copy of the exorcist i have a copy of dracula but it's like the super super cheap condensed version with like the ugliest cover i wanted to read it and found like a four dollar copy at a local bookstore but I wish I had spent a teeny bit more money and actually gotten something that I would like to display because I would never show it on camera or on Instagram. It's just ugly. So that would be something that would be really nice. Like just find out what their favorite horror classics are, like I Am Legend or whatnot. Some Shirley Jacksons. Oh, they have nice covers.
0: They do. Well, they just came out with that reissue where some of their classics have the orange spine and then they also have the orange covers with like a little design. There's a lot of great editions of Shirley Jackson.
1: Yeah, pick any of them. They're so good. And so then we kind of already answered it, but what books do we want to get for Christmas? I was thinking about my own list and I, like I mentioned, really, really want those coffee table books. But for me, when it comes to making a wish list for books, I just tend to ask for my favorites because those are the ones that I'm most likely to reread or I just like to have on my shelf so that I can loan them to friends or display them because I love when people look at a book and say, what is that about? For me, I definitely want to get a copy of Beneath by Christy Demeester or Come Closer by Sarah Grand, both of which I talked about last year in our Best of the Year episode. There's some other books I want that are new favorites, but I'm going to hold off talking about them so I don't spoil a possible future episode we're planning about our favorites of the year but those are some that i'm really excited about and i also just like books with really nice covers because i've discovered the world of bookstagram i'm now obsessed with covers like my best friend's exorcism or horror store or basically anything by grady hendrix i've noticed all of his books look gorgeous on instagram and i just really want covers of them which maybe sounds really shallow like they're good books too but i have just want them to look at them how about you
0: well, I hard agree on all the Grady Hendrix books. Well, Quirk just does such a great job at putting all that extra effort and putting them together and having so many extras and just making it so fun and exciting to have a physical copy of his books that, yeah, absolutely, it almost warrants getting them just for that. And, of course, they're written well and they're great stories. So it's a win-win all around. The thing I have found is that everyone in my family knows that I like books And so I don't know if you run into this, but because of that, everyone always says, well,
1: I don't wanna get you another book why not? I get that too. It drives me nuts. I never, ever, ever actually get books for Christmas. Yeah, my husband might get me
0: some, but he never looks at like my actual wish list. He just kind of goes and like looks and tries to figure out what I would like.
1: Yeah, my husband's the exact same way. He's like, you know, if you put it on a list, then it's not a surprise. But it's like, but those are the books I want. (laughs) Yeah, and
0: also a lot of books that I consider my favorites, I had from the library or I own as ebooks so a lot of my favorites I don't own physical copies of and part of me is struggling with the idea that I'm thinking maybe it should be reserved for just favorites but also like I want pretty books that I haven't read yet so I don't know
1: Yeah, for me, I'm definitely someone who tries to just own all their favorites. Like, that's the goal. Like, I'm actually really okay not having a lot of unread books just because I love the anticipation. Like, when I get a book and I think I'm going to love it, like, it's so exciting. And then when I don't love a book, because that happens a lot, I'm a very picky reader, as you know, and you've heard offline. But when that does happen, then I'm like, oh, well, now I just spent $30 on a book that I don't like and never want to read again. Yeah, So still on the topic of Christmas horror, maybe let's talk about some movies and TV shows that are Christmassy, but also a little bit creepy. And I wanted to talk about ones that we didn't mention last time we did this similar episode. So I remember before I gushed about Krampus as my chilling obsession, still recommend that one.
0: I did have to say you recommended it and I watched that last year on HBO.
1: Or you didn't like it, did you? I can't remember. (laughs)
0: No, I loved it. That officially is going to be my yearly watch, 100%. I have like a handful of movies that I watch every year at Christmas, like including The Shining and movies we'll talk about later. But yeah, Krampus officially made it on that list. I loved it.
1: Oh, I'm so happy. In my mind, I thought I remembered you hating it. So I was like, oh, don't bring it up again.
0: (laughs) You're like, please don't make me feel like I recommend bad things.
1: Oh, like all my favorite actors are in that movie. And it's just like cheesy horror goodness. To talk about some other ones, I mentioned it just recently, but I talked about that anthology on Netflix called XX. And the very first story, The Box, is all set around Christmas. That's the one about the little boy who sees something in a box and then loses his appetite. The whole story takes place in the days leading up to Christmas. And I remember thinking it'd be perfect to check it out like in December. So definitely recommend that one. Another one I wanna mention, because I tried watching it, is Better Watch Out. And I wanted to mention this one because I felt like it got super popular when it came out last year. And that's the one about the kid who is being watched by his babysitter and people break into their house. And when I first saw it, I was really excited because to me, it looked like a version of the Netflix movie, The Babysitter. And it definitely has a similar flair, but it was bad.
0: So that's like an unrecommend.
1: Yeah, if we were recommending this at the end, this would definitely be a lukewarm letdown because I had high, high expectations because of how much I love the babysitter, but I just think it's not that great. One that is amazing though is the Christmas episode of Black Mirror is called White Christmas and I'm so glad you got me into that show. And that might be my favorite episode of all the seasons. Like I really, really love the Star Trek one, but I think the White Christmas episode is like my all-time favorite. I have so many feelings for so many spoilery reasons.
0: It just gets so dark and of course I am here to support basically all things that John Hamm is in but he did such a great job in this and it got so dark in such a crazy way.
1: Yeah I really think it's a good place for people to start like if you're going to start watching Black Mirror around this time of year just start with that one because there's a lot of discussions about maybe skipping that first episode which not everyone loves. I thought it was hilarious but I'm weird like that but i just think the white christmas episode just captures everything that makes black Mirror so good like yeah it's just dark and creepy and disturbing and just like there's so many layers to that one again it's one that it's really hard to talk about because it seems to be about two men in a cabin on christmas and they're just telling stories and i feel like i can't say anything more than that yeah but oh my goodness everyone go watch it if you haven't so good
0: so I want to recommend the quintessential Christmas horror movie that can also be watched at Halloween. And of course, yes, I am talking again about The Nightmare Before Christmas because that is one of the best Christmas movies ever.
1: Absolutely. I'll second that. I mean, how many like movies do you get to watch on two different holidays? And it'd be completely legitimate.
0: Yeah, that movie is basically just on repeat, like the whole last part of the year
1: in our house. And of course, I feel like there's a ton
0: of horror movies that have a strong winter setting that, you know, may or may not have like a Christmas element. Some of these do. The Shining is one, 30 Days of Night, which if you listen to our last episode, Devin and I may or may not have talked about how we did not enjoy the source <laughs> material. The movie cut out like an extra storyline that bothered me and didn't need to be there. Probably the big winter Christmas horror movies like The Thing, Misery, and of course... Black Christmas.
1: Yeah, those are definitely the classics to go to. But What about some non-horror? Like what are your go-to Christmas movies besides Krampus? Now that I added it to your list, I'm so proud of that.
0: Besides Krampus, I Am Trash for Love Actually, which I feel like is a very divisive movie. Like people have strong opinions. And I think when you watch it, you need to apply the rule that applies to most romantic comedies, which is just don't think about it too much.
1: <laughs> I adore that movie. I watch it at least once a a year and that is like the movie I'm quoting all the time like oh I just love everything about it do
0: you cry when Emma Thompson cries over the Joni Mitchell album because I do <laughs>
1: <laughs> no I'm heartless <laughs> well
0: I cry at the drop of a hat so
1: <laughs> and there's another movie that makes you cry around Christmas apparently oh my gosh
0: so this is the time of year <laughs> where I watch the family stone at least three times and I do cry every single time I watch it.
1: (laughs) That's one I haven't watched but I've heard good things about. So if you don't know the family
0: stone is like a Dermot Mulroney is going home to visit his family and he's taking his girlfriend Sarah Jessica Parker and it's just of course like shenanigans like awkward meeting the parents type stuff but it also is I don't know quite touching
1: and it just
0: It fills my heart with joy.
1: Well, maybe I'll try it out this year if you love it so much.
0: (laughs) And then I think like every family has like their Christmas movie that they watch. I don't know if we talked about this last year, but like my family is a real big Christmas story family.
1: You'll shoot your eye out. Yeah, like
0: we watch that every year. And then when I married Jesse, like his family is a really big elf family
1: We really like the Christmas Carol version done by the Muppets. It took me a really long time before I found out that that was actually a story in of itself that (laughs) wasn't just the Muppets.
0: You're like, who is this Charles Dickens guy and why is he ripping off the Muppets?
1: Exactly. (laughs) Don't worry. As we discussed last year, I have now read the Christmas Carol and really like it. But yeah, I had no idea that there was source material that didn't involve puppets. So (laughs) that was eye opening as an adult. And I feel like we can't discuss movies and TV shows without going where we always go. So tell me, what are your favorite Office Christmas episodes?
0: I love the Benihana Christmas episode.
1: That's such a good one because that's when Michael's girlfriend breaks up with him and then they end up going to that Japanese restaurant and bringing back the waitresses
0: Yeah, and then that's the one where he has the two tickets to Sandals and the episode he keeps trying to get the girl he met at Benihana's to go with him and spend a week in Jamaica with him. And then at the end of the episode, you see him on the phone inviting someone to go with him and you know that she says yes, but you don't know who it is when the episode ends. But the next episode you find out it's Jan and that is the beginning of The Reign of Crazy Jan.
1: Oh, that is one of my favorite arcs of the whole series is crazy Jans. so the fact that that episode launches it gives me so many happy feelings
0: yeah that's one like i am 100 percent okay with like her complete change in personality for basically no reason just for the needs of the show i'm fine with it I also love, I think it's the last season where Dwight is in charge of Christmas. So they have a Pennsylvania Dutch Christmas. He dresses up as Belshnickel. He does all of the Christmas traditions that he grew up with. And Jim just keeps trying to tell him that that's basically Santa. And they just keep arguing over little things. And he plays a game like impish or admirable. And he tries to decide like if you've been naughty or nice, but it's impish or admirable.
1: <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> that one is so good. I know one we both love is Classy Christmas and that's the one where Michael's girlfriend Holly is coming back or maybe ex-girlfriend at that point and he really wants to impress her by having like a really classy upscale Christmas. Oh I don't know I remember that one being so good. What do you remember about that?
0: That Pam puts up a fake tree and he tells Pam to get rid of the fake tree because Holly is coming and he says, Pam someone from New Hampshire sees that and they see a burning cross. I don't remember which one is the episode where Jim and Dwight get into an escalating snowball fight.
1: That's Classy Christmas. That one kind of scars me. Like by the end, I was shaking for Jim. (laughs) He gets a little bit scarred for life in that episode.
0: Sometimes fear is the greatest snowball of all. (laughs)
1: And I'm always a sucker for I think it's one of the first seasons like I think it's just called like the Christmas party where they do the classic white elephant gift exchange except it starts out with secret Santa so everyone purposely makes a gift that is like meant for someone else and then they switch it to white elephant so then everyone's like passing it around exchanging and like. Michael has such a crush on the intern Ryan that he gives him an iPod (laughs) and then everyone's fighting over that. I think Stanley ends up with this like really girly sign for his desk that says Kelly because it was, you know, meant for Kelly. It's (laughs) just classic.
0: I also love, I think it's a little underrated because it's in a season after Michael leaves, but Christmas wishes, which is when Andy is regional manager and he says he wants to make everyone's like Christmas wish come true and everyone asks for like fairly reasonable things and he and Aaron are broken up and he started seeing this girl Jessica and Aaron gets a little tipsy at the party and says that she knows what her Christmas wish is. And she gets close to Andy and whispers in his ear that she wants his girlfriend dead. <laughs> and he's like, I can't do that. And she says one of my favorite quotes, which is like, I want her in a graveyard under the ground with worms coming out of her mouth. And then he says like, what? Like, I can't do that. And she says, like, well, which one are you? Are you a liar or a murderer?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you bring that up in conversation, but somehow you quote it all the time. It doesn't have
0: to come up in conversation. I will wedge it into conversation. I'll be like, well, which one are you? A liar or a murderer?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I kind of wonder if your friends that
0: haven't seen the office understand half the things you say. I think you have to have seen the office to be friends with me. I think it's one of the prerequisites.
1: I would assume so. (laughs) Well, we should probably finally talk about some book recommendations, and I'll go first. I want to recommend Naomi's Room by Jonathan Acliffe. And this is a story about a happy family living in Cambridge with their young daughter Naomi. On Christmas Eve, the father Charles takes Naomi shopping in the mall, but when he looks away for just a moment, she disappears. And I'm going to say that this is not a mystery novel to be clear, but a horror story, which you know right from the get go. So it's not. A real spoiler to say that we quickly learn the fate of Naomi, and I'll just say that it isn't good. So, just to kind of lay that groundwork. This is just an incredibly cozy Christmas story when it begins. It's all about this like happy family preparing for the holidays and just appreciating being together and having this Christmas with their daughter, which makes it that much more devastating when this beautiful happy picture just gets torn to pieces. And I'll say that I really like this book, but I'm also very cautious to recommend this one to parents because... In my opinion, this book is basically a parent's worst nightmare and I don't want to give away too much of the plot, but I'll say it gets very psychological and haunting because the parents feel that their daughter is still somehow present in their house, so it has those horror elements that are woven in, but at the core of it, there are these parents that have had the worst possible thing happen to them at what is supposed to be the happiest time of the year, and it was so well done, it's definitely creepy. I would put it in the fridge myself personally based off how scary I found it, but keeping in mind that I don't yet have children so I know people who consider this to be one of the scariest books they have ever read which honestly was the reason I first picked up this book because anytime that a book kind of hits people's scariest book of all time list I kind of want to see it for myself so while I put in the fridge I know other people would put this in the freezer and that, again, is called Naomi's Room, which is written by Jonathan Acliffe. And I always end my recommendations by telling you that you should read it, but I'm really cautious too. It's very anxious-inducing.
0: Maybe I'll wait a couple years.
1: Yeah. It's troubling. Like, I'm kind of glad that I read it in that nice little safe niche where I'm like, I don't have a child to get lost in the mall. I'm still safe from that.
0: Yeah, no, that is like one of my worst nightmares. So probably not for a while. So the book I'm recommending is a graphic novel that is Through the Woods by Emily Carroll. So this is a graphic novel, but it is split into short stories and a lot of them are inspired by classic ghost stories and folklore. I will say the art in this is amazing. Emily Carroll is an amazing artist. And I almost want to just plaster my room in the pages from this book. It's just so beautiful, but eerie and atmospheric. And a lot of these stories are set in the wintertime, which is obviously why I am recommending it on this episode. But especially the first story is about a father who is going to go on a hunting trip and he's leaving two daughters alone in the cabin and he's basically saying like if I'm not back in three days walk over to the neighbor's house and it just ends up becoming this eerie and claustrophobic story involving like these two sisters just like waiting for their father to come back and it sounds like such a simple story but what she did with the art in this was just like I said amazing amazing My other favorite story, I think, is the last one, but it's called The Nesting Place. And all I'm going to say is that it's about a young girl who's trying to fit in with her brother's family.
1: That is such a good graphic novel to recommend for this episode. I read it years ago and i Kind of had forgotten about it until you mentioned it. But I do remember it being so wintry, like, especially that first story about the snowstorm. I think that the author does a really good job of creating atmosphere in the length of a relatively short story collection that doesn't have a lot of description to it like mostly you know it's a little bit of dialogue you know pictures things like that so I was really impressed I remember when I read it how well she conveyed that feeling of cold and eeriness like you said so I think this is a really good book to read this time of year so I definitely recommend that one as well how would you put it in terms of rating though scariness wise
0: I would say between room temperature and fridge, probably more towards room temperature, because a lot of it is mostly just atmosphere building. Like you said, a lot of these stories don't have a lot of dialogue. I think you just kind of get enough information to give you context for the story. And then most of it from there is image focused, which, like I said, works so well because she's an amazing artist. The imagery isn't super terrifying. And I think there's, you know, a couple like ambiguous endings.
1: Yeah, I'd probably put this one as room temperature as well. I think it's a really safe place to start for someone who's like a scaredy cat or doesn't normally read horror things like that. It's a really good, you know, entry point just to get something a little bit creepier around the holidays because I've said it before, like I am so sick of the fact that like 99% of Christmas novels are like cute contemporary romances. So, you know, if you want something a little bit darker, that's a a good kind of entry point Switching over to something a little bit darker, I want to recommend Mind of Winter by Laura Kashiki and this entire story takes place on a blizzarding Christmas day. Our main character, Holly, wakes up on Christmas thinking that something has followed them home from Russia 13 years ago when they adopted their daughter, Tatiana. While her husband goes out to pick up his parents from the airport, Holly spends a day with her daughter and recounts their adoption process and the strange and creepy instances that started happening after that fateful day. And I have so many thoughts about this one. I'll try to keep it brief. First, I listened to the this on audio which was an amazing experience. I definitely recommend trying to check it out that way if possible. I believe it's usually available on Hoopla and I think it works so well because of the fact that so much of the story takes place within the mother's head. It's another story that's very psychological and so much of it is very quiet, very suspenseful. If you like quiet haunting, this is a good one for you. My only teeny tiny complaint with the audiobook version is that there's a phrase in this book something followed them home from Russia which gets repeated a lot and if you're going to listen to it as an audiobook you will notice how many times that phrase gets repeated and it did get kind of grating at times you have to just go along with it obviously the author is doing that very purposefully and it's meant to be part of that psychological aspect to the book. The fact that she can't get this idea out of her head and it repeats over and over again, but that psychological piece does play with you on different levels. Like I said, you have to be in the right mood to just go where the story goes. Again, it's a very slow burn and I did possibly think the middle section dragged a little bit, but the ending was so fantastic. It was dark and disturbing and haunting. And I so badly want to explain why, but I can't. It's just not the kind of horror story you might expect it to be, but I can't say why without spoilers. So I remember Chelsea talked about this way back in our queer horror episode and I've been dying to read it since because it really freaked her out and was one of the scariest books she had ever read. And I can see why, but it wasn't what I thought was going to be so scary about it. It was different. And I'd actually be curious to know for other people who've read it, if it appeals to a male audience as much as a female, because I'd say it deals with a lot of themes of fertility and motherhood. And I know for me, I connected with a lot of the issues that were being brought up but I'd be curious to know if there's any male readers out there who've read it and really liked it but regardless I really enjoyed this rating wise I put it at least in the fridge it wasn't freezer worthy but it was chilling enough I would fridge it and again that is Mind of Winter by Laura Kashiki and it's gonna be one that you either love or hate looking at the reviews they're very split so it's kind of one you just have to check out for yourself and you know find out which side you fall on
0: this one has been on my radar since we did that episode with Chelsea, so I'm really happy to hear that it's on Hoopla. I'm definitely going to be checking that one out soon.
1: Yeah, that's one that i confidently say that I'd really like you to check out, and I'd love to be able to discuss it with you after for reasons I can't discuss now, <laughs> which is so hard. Why do we do a recommendation show? <laughs> Why? <laughs>
0: So the next book I want to talk about is an anthology that came out this year called Hark! The Herald Angels Scream, and this was edited by Christopher Golden. And these are all Christmas-themed horror stories. And I wanted to talk about a few stories that I really enjoyed. One of them was Good Deeds by Jeff Strand. And this is about a character that, in this world, supposedly writes basically what we would call the Christmas shoe song after patting himself on the back for helping a young kid buy shoes for his dying mother on Christmas. He writes the song so that other people can see how awesome he is. What happens is he ends up triggering a chain of events that, uh, is very similar to The Happening, if you've seen that. And it had such a silly tone the whole time while also describing all these like horrific things happening and talking about what is arguably the worst Christmas song of all time. (laughs) (laughs) So that story was Good Deeds by Jeff Strand. Another one I really liked was called Not Just for Christmas by Sarah Lotz. And this one, I want to say it kind of had a speculative element because it was about a future where there's genetically engineered dogs that are more owner friendly. They're more convenient. You know, they poop odorless pellets. <laughs> they don't bark like they, you know, they stay puppies forever. And you can keep updating it and connect it to apps and it just becomes more and more convenient to own. And obviously, you could probably see that this is going to comment on the dark side of technology. And in this world, that definitely comes into play and people lose interest in owning normal dogs. And I just thought it was done really well and like the narrative in this is following like a man he and his wife are separated and he like surprises the children with one of these dogs which can I just say I have a pet peeve in movies when people like surprise other people with dogs as gifts
1: oh yeah I agree with that like,
0: that's a lot of responsibility you literally just threw at me right now and you did not consult me about this Anyway, moving on to, like, the next story that I liked, which I think you and I both enjoyed, Rachel, was Yankee Swap by John M. McKilvey, and this is about a woman at a Christmas party who has, like, a gross predatory, like, frat boy boss who's not leaving her alone, and she tries to leave the Christmas party, but wakes up and ends up being part of a uh, strange situation.
1: Uh, How would you describe it, Rachel? (laughs) Yeah, it's hard not to give away too much when it's just a short story.
0: Yeah, I don't want to give away a whole lot, but it's an interesting, intense, and claustrophobic situation. And I think you and I were talking about that this is the story that inspired the cover image
1: Yeah the cover is amazing. It looks like this Santa Claus but with like a goblin mask on and it's just so well done and yeah Yankee Swap was definitely my favorite story in the collection. I read this one too and I was really happy that you liked it because we talk about that our tastes in horror do and don't cross over and if I had to guess this one, I didn't think would be up your alley because it's so up mine, but I'm really glad that it worked for you. it's it's so hard to talk about. It's kind of one just like if you can get the collection, just go and read Yankee Swab because that one is great,
0: yeah, it was really good. So as we mentioned, it's hard to kind of put whole collections in any rating. I would definitely at least solidly put this one in the fridge, mostly for the Yankee Swab story that was terrifying,
1: yeah. That one definitely affected my rating the most.
0: So that was Hark! The Herald Angels Scream, edited by Christopher Golden.
1: And my last recommendation is Snow by Ronald Malfi, which a lot of people might think I recommended last year on this episode, but I'm going to say no, I did not. Even Stephanie thought this. I actually recommended it in January when we did an episode on survival horror, and it was 11 months ago. Sometimes I have to do repeats when it comes to recommendations. I feel like it's been long enough, and not everyone has read this, so I'm going to talk about it briefly again. Bear with me. I know we have new subscribers that haven't necessarily gone back and dug through all of our backgrounds list anyway. This is about a man named Todd who desperately wants to get home to see his son for Christmas. However, a blizzard has caused the Chicago airport to close, so he decides to rent a vehicle and make the drive through the snow himself. In his treacherous journey, he is joined by a woman as well as an elderly couple. And the road trip takes a turn for the worse when they come across a strange man stranded out in the snow who is searching for his daughter. And from there, the story turns into a fast-paced, gruesome, some survival story which is like all of Rachel's bells ringing when you hear those kind of things (laughs) and right off the bat like anytime you see like a strange man on the side of the road in a blizzard like just I'm a terrible person like just keep going like he's probably not there for good reasons if it's a horror story they should have known better but I really wanted to recommend this one specifically on a Christmas horror episode because It just encapsulates so much that you're looking for if you're in the mood for like Christmas horror because it is set around Christmas, but it's at the same time very much just about the weather and is so atmospheric. And I know the one thing that came up after I recommended it uh, way back was that it can be a little bit difficult to find if you're looking for a physical copy on Amazon. However, I want to point out that this is available as an audiobook. And I know it's on audible.com. I'm not sponsored in any way. I just wanted to point out that you can grab a free trial and listen to the whole thing there. So that is an excellent way to check it out if you can't get it through your library, which is how I personally read it, because libraries are really good for holding onto those old books. So check it out that way and personally I would say it was fridge worthy it wasn't overtly scary but there's enough gruesome scenes in it that I didn't feel I could leave it on the counter so I'm gonna say fridge and that again is snow by Ronald Malfi
0: and the last book I'm recommending is also survival horror <laughs> that is the hunger by Alma and this is a retelling of the events of the Donner Party which I think you mentioned Rachel is not something that's taught in Canadian history But it's, you know, a pretty big part of American history. So it takes place in 1846 and follows the large caravan of people led by George Donner and James Reed that gets hit with delays and setbacks and causes them to be stuck in the Sierra Mountains during an especially unforgiving winter. But in this story, it's hinted that there might be something supernatural behind this, something that has targeted this group that we now know to be doomed to a cruel and infamous fate. So what I liked about this is that we're working with a large cast of characters and that they all have their own motivations and secrets, which I really like because you know that my favorite part of a survival story is is the characters and how the situation starts affecting their relationship with each other and how as resources get depleted and the situation becomes more dire, the relationships start to get strained and people start snapping at each other. And in this situation, some people have something to hide and you kind of get everyone's backstory and like why people decided to pack up their whole life to go on this dangerous journey. And I thought it just worked really well. This was actually my first time reading a historical horror story like something that was based on something that had actually happened I mean it was really interesting because last year I read a nonfiction book about the Donner Party and it just put a lot of this in context so I thought it just really made it enjoyable so I wish there was something between room temperature and fridge like maybe like mini fridge
1: (laughs) yeah people give us suggestions how we can expand our rating system
0: yeah, someone put this as like a dorm room mini fridge. <laughs> it's room temperature in that it has very literary writing. I would describe this as a bit of a slow bird. And I think if you're looking for like a hack and slash, like very gruesome story, this probably isn't the one you're looking for. But if you want a very atmospheric, historical story with literary writing, then I would recommend The Hunger by Almakatsu.
1: That just sounds so much up your alley. Like it's everything that you love. And, like horror where it's like a group of people kind of fighting amongst themselves and I definitely can see why it's one you've been drawn to <laughs> yeah and yeah I wish I knew more about the Donner party it's such a black hole in my <laughs> knowledge so I appreciate you kind of filling in some details for me well I definitely recommend if you want to know more
0: the indifferent stars above oh, okay and that was just a really good nonfiction book about all the events and everything. And like he did a lot of research and just really humanized everyone. So I definitely recommend that as a nonfiction book about the Donner Party.
1: Oh, that's perfect, because that way either if people want to read that before or after reading this one, because often when I read historical fiction, I find myself wanting to know what was fiction and what wasn't. And if an author does a really good job, sometimes those lines are hard to see. I mean, obviously, there's some parts I'm going to understand are clearly fiction if I'm reading this, but I'm sure there's some gray area that could be confusing to someone like myself, who isn't overly familiar with the history so let's end the episode talking about some new chilling obsessions and I want to recommend a horror drama podcast, which is produced by Shudder and called the Video Palace. This is about a video collector named Mark who watches this mysterious white VHS tape and then begins to speak in his sleep in this creepy unknown language. And Mark believes that his sleep talking is somehow related to this tape, which makes him wonder if he has come into possession with one of these classic, and you can't see my quotes here, but white tape which is supposedly a VHS tape that has some kind of supernatural powers that can maybe control or at least affect the mental state of the viewer. And then he goes on to investigate the history of this particular tape and where it came from. And the podcast is his way of documenting his work. And it really takes on that journalistic feel, which I really like. And you know me, I love anything to do with nostalgic horror, especially anything set around the 1980s. This actual podcast is supposed to be said in the modern day but of course anytime you're dealing with old technology they're looking back to see the original history of it and this podcast just reminded me of so many other similar things i've gushed about on the podcast so if you're a fan of the black tapes podcast if you're a fan of the beyond the gate movie i gushed about on netflix i also think it has some similarities to the book and movie the ring because of course it's a vhs tape that possibly has some magical powers, and even kind of reminded me in places of Universal Harvester, which also dealt with a video store. And I really thought this Horror drama was unique because the producers of it at Shudder really blended together pieces of reality, which, kind of like we were talking about above, makes that fiction so much more credible, but also confuses what's real and what's fictional. The actual character in the podcast, Mark, is fictional, but then he goes on to interview real life horror icons. I didn't personally know everyone, but there was like horror directors and even like a producer from Shudder itself makes an appearance, and it just became very meta and just really blurred the lines of what was real because like I said the people he was talking to were real so were their opinions real but it is supposed to be all scripted and Shudder is releasing an episode a week on regular podcast catchers like iTunes. There's currently seven episodes out right now, but if you don't want to wait, I understand that the entire first season is already available to Shutter members as an exclusive, and I've got to say good job marketers because I've been really good about holding off my money on like renewing my subscription to Shutter. but I'm really, really tempted to get another month just so I can finish and binge the rest of the season because I'm caught up right now and I just need to know what happens next next which is a really good sign so that is again a podcast called video palace which is produced by shutter and if you can't tell i definitely recommend it
0: i haven't even heard of this so really oh i'm so
1: happy i never have the underhyped podcast or at least one that you haven't heard of because you're my go-to for 99 percent of the podcasts i listen to
0: because i spend way too much time listening to podcasts but this sounds amazing i'm definitely gonna go download this like right when we're done here so, my pick is not underhyped at all. I'm talking about the chilling adventures of Sabrina on Netflix. Have you seen this?
1: I've seen the first episode. I haven't had a chance to keep going, so I'm glad that you got a chance to recommend it.
0: Yeah, I will say I'm not completely done with it yet. I'm still. I want to say like a little past the halfway point. So so far where I'm at, I would recommend it. And if you don't know, this is based off of the graphic novels of the same name that I recommended in the last episode. And I am enjoying it. I will preface this by saying that I do like teen shows, like I did like Riverdale, so I would say this definitely is going to appeal to fans that like that kind of stuff. I was really confused by the time period because the graphic novels are set in the 1960s and in the show they kept the 1960s aesthetics like there's a lot of old cars like the way everyone dresses they don't show a lot of technology and just the lighting and the settings and everything looks like the 1960s but it is set in modern day so uh, parts of that were a little confusing i did enjoy that there were some nods to The original Sabrina the Teenage Witch, I thought like certain plot lines, and there was a lot of visual nods to famous horror films. Like one that I caught right away was Harvey is laying on his bed in a crop top jersey with headphones on, and I was like, and that is a nod to Johnny Depp on The Nightmare on Elm Street. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, the actress Kieran Shipka does a great job. If you don't know, she was Sally Draper on Mad Men. And I was really surprised by how well she did in one of my other chilling obsessions, The Black Coat's Daughter. She was one of the main characters in that. So I definitely knew that she could do roles that were a little darker and that weren't just Sally Draper. I think the occult stuff is kind of funny and a little over the top. Like they have a courtroom scene and, you know, they're like, you're disgrace or your dishonor. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's a little jokey. So much so that they actually are facing a lawsuit from the satanic temple... over the use of one of the statues in the school in a later episode but yeah that's very interesting also if you want to look into like all the details of that lawsuit but yeah overall where i am at which i think is like episode six i would recommend the chilling adventures of Sabrina
1: yeah it looks like a lot of fun i'm not completely sure that it's not too teeny bopper for me that was the only thing in the pilot is it very much is her dealing with like should she become a full-fledged witch or stay with her boyfriend i was like oh Oh, it's hard, so I don't know how it'll necessarily appeal to all audiences. I can see it being a little bit hit or miss. Mm -hmm. but that being said from the person who has binge watched every single season of the Canadian teen drama Degrassi so I have no idea why I'm suddenly (laughs) adverse to some teen romance so I'm definitely going to keep going it looks like a lot of fun I just don't know if it's one I'll be able to get my husband on board for which always makes it easier if we can binge watch something together and you know how I say I'm always really bad with identifying actresses we've even gotten caught on previous episodes when I missed it in editing but I did not know know at first who the actress sabrina was and i was under the impression that that was emma watson for (laughs) quite some time when watching the trailers it was bad so it wasn't until i actually watched the pilot that i was like yeah i don't think this is emma watson no (laughs) and it took me a little too long to come to that conclusion which was embarrassing and may have involved some googling
0: well also the actor who plays harvey ross lynch You know how they made a film adaptation of My Friend Dahmer? He played Jeffrey Dahmer, and now he's Harvey.
1: Oh, that's hard to look past. I know. I haven't seen that movie yet, but even knowing that is a little disturbing.
0: Well, at least they knew that they could do, like, dark roles before taking this, I guess.
1: Yeah, they definitely proved their range. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Books in the Freezer is a biweekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at Books Pod or on Instagram at Books in the Freezer. You can send us an email at booksinthefreezer at gmail.com. The show notes for this episode and all previous episodes are at booksinthefreezer.com. We're on Patreon as Books in the Freezer, and we wanted to say a special thank you to our patrons, Laura, Liz, Devin, Sarai, Roger, Emily, Denise, Anthony, Jason, Brad, Leanne, Elizabeth, Sean, Mitch, Alicia, Christopher, Mark, Raina, Tracy, Christy, Julia, David, Agatha, Rachel, Kevin, Lisa, Mac, Amanda, and PT. If you're looking for a free way to support the podcast, be sure to leave us a review on a podcast app like itunes or stitcher it helps people find us and we do have some new reviews this one is titled one of my favorites five stars by k8 wma it's hard to find Rex on horror beyond king and coots i found this podcast from the ladies perspective youtube channels and it's excellent thank you so much and then newest podcast obsession from introvert x five stars I'm a horror newbie, but the more I hear Rachel and Stephanie talk about horror books, the more I feel like I'm destined for this genre. Yes. I especially love their book rating system. For a newbie who considers herself a scaredy cat, the room temperature recommendations almost always make it to my Goodreads TBR. And I love how their themed episodes recommend very different options for the horrific category being discussed. Their reviews hit the sweet spot of intriguing the listener without giving too much away. I can't wait to actually read some of these recommendations and I'm so excited to have horror books to look forward to that aren't just Stephen King no offense. And I'll read one more. Love this podcast five stars. I am absolutely obsessed with this podcast. As a lover of all things literary and all things horror, this podcast is everything I never knew I needed. I love the book recommendations and I love that they have episodes with all different themes. I wish this came out more often than biweekly because it's always so hard waiting for the next episode
1: thank you so much for all those nice comments and we'd love to hear if you actually pick up any of the books that we recommend it's always so fun for us if you let us know on instagram or twitter wherever you are you know what you thought of them what you enjoyed it's great to get that feedback
0: i'm stephanie you can find me on twitter at lady underscore ganya. that's l-a-d-y underscore g-a-g-n-o-n and on instagram at that's what she read with two a's and on YouTube at That's What She Read.
1: And I'm Rachel. You can find me on Twitter at Shades_Orange, Orange, or I'm also on YouTube and Instagram at The Shades of Orange. Join us next time for Books in the Freezer.